Welcome to Life Fire Layout, the podcast where we bring the world of public safety to your listening device. Here we are. I am very excited to bring this guest on. Uh, I'd like to welcome Scott Whittier to the podcast. Scott, tell us a little bit about yourself uh, and, and really uh, start, if you would, with your title, which I think is the coolest thing since sliced bread. <laughs> Well, th first of all, thanks for having me, Prescott. Uh, yeah, so I am the Warning Coordination Meteorologist for the National Weather Service here in Burlington. Uh, fancy title, and basically all that means is I am the liaison officer between um, our office and the outside world, whether it's uh, first responders, uh, schools, uh, media, uh, any decision makers, general public, um, I pretty much uh, help coordinate the message between our office and those users. That makes a ton of sense, Scott, and that's in essence how we connected, because in my role as a fire captain in Williston, actually when we first met, I wasn't on a captain yet, but we've stayed in touch. Um, we've communicated, obviously, about weather, but also about some really neat programs that the National Weather Service has going out of the Burlington office nationally, um, which really drives us to why we're here. Um, first of all, outdoors uh, right now in... Vermont, we are getting what I would call our first uh, real sort of snowstorm of the season. We've had a few little drops in areas that have, have caused some some issues, um, but uh, you know, winter is here. And, and one of the things we had talked about pre-chat was that uh, even if you don't live like we do in the Northeast where snow is an inevitability, ice storms, things like that, um, weather in general is something that we need to heed. We need to pay a lot of attention to that. One of the statements you had made was that um, something, there was some ridiculous statistic of preventable injuries and death and, and how just uh, most storms have a lot of uh, preventable um, injuries and deaths um, with some pretty basic levels of prevention. So I was hoping sort of to, to launch us off here, talk a little bit about that. Um, and, and because we are in the Northeast, feel free to, to lean heavily into that, but also, you know, acknowledging that some of our listeners um, are from other areas of the country, you can uh, jump down that road as well. Yeah, no, certainly, Prescott, thank you. Yeah, the uh, when we had the pre-chat, uh, I was largely thinking about uh, flooding. Flooding um, annually across the country generally is about one to 200 deaths per year, and I would say 80 to 90 percent of them are preventable, basically looking at statistics, because 80% uh, of them are vehicle-related, people crossing flooded roadways, which, you know, you you drive around a flooded roadway. There's one thing if you see standing water and the water's not moving, and you can see maybe the yellow line mark or whatever. That's one thing. Even though I don't encourage it, that may be okay. But when the water is r flowing across like it's a stream and you know it's a road and not a stream, that's not good because it only takes 6 to 12 inches of water, the buoyancy and the force of it, to lift up a vehicle and then just move it to wherever, you know, off the road, through a bridge, hitting a bunch of trees. I mean, so that is probably one of the biggest uh, preventable uh, things. Uh, the July flooding here that we all witnessed uh, I don't believe there were any uh, vehicle deaths, which was was excellent. There were a few deaths, unfortunately, but it wasn't vehicle related. Uh, so it, you see a lot of it in the national news out in uh, the Midwest or the South, but it can happen here, and people certainly need to be aware. Uh, for us, when we're we're talking about Vermont and the Northeast part of the country, we're you know we're in tune to winter weather, and I think that and. Besides weather-related being hydrology or flooding-related deaths, 
there are a lot of weather-related deaths just due to traffic accidents. Now, we tell in folks as yourselves and other public safety information officers and whatever will tell you to don't drive if you don't need to, um, slow down, leave plenty of uh, room between the vehicle uh, in front of you, avoid sudden turns, whatever. Now, we know people have to go and travel to work. I mean, not everybody can just take the day off or whatever. But in the day and age of post-COVID, where there can be a lot of uh, teleworking, really consider the option of teleworking and not traveling when roads are really bad. If the roads are really bad and you have to be somewhere, plan on leaving early. If your workday starts at 8 and you normally leave at 7.30, consider leaving at 7 o'clock or even earlier. Because if you're trying to get somewhere in a hurry, more than likely that person next to you is trying to get somewhere in a hurry, and that's when the accidents occur. So it's making smart decisions like that of just trying to avoid uh, things that you don't need to forcibly do. That is uh, an incredible, I'm going to footstomp that real hard because, A, as a PIO, I, I need to reference the fact that everything you just said is ringing so true, and it's our job as PIOs to uh, you know leverage our platform to get safety messages out there. You said it's not just um, you know folks like myself as PIOs that you work with, but it is schools, it's the media, so you are the National Weather Service PIO for, well, not, sorry, yeah. you, you know, in this area, you leverage that platform in such a good way what's crazy is uh, some of the accidents a lot of the accidents we go to um it's the same story of like oh man you know my snow tire i i, I don't have my snow tires on you know a lot of it is definitely speed related i was i was going 40 miles an hour and a posted four, 40 mile per hour speed limit well the speed limit signs are there for uh, normal weather conditions normal every condition right they're like the blue sky sunny condition uh dry roads etc versus you know any type of snow you had mentioned water things like that then it's time to look at that posted speed limit as uh the very high level of what you should be doing so everything you're saying is is so important and i can appreciate it not just for our civilian population or anyone listening who is not in emergency services the military etc um, but also one thing i just have to mention to any of the listeners that are in emergency services is the same applies for us tones drop pulse rate goes up no matter what you're going to to some degree if there's a little elevation in pulse rate it becomes very easy especially what type of call we're heading to just take that breath and recognize that uh for for many of us you know in, in my fire department this is the first storm of any consequence there's plenty more to come if we don't get there safely we will do no one any good so that's my quick foot stomp on that no and i totally agree with you and you know and it's not just people whether they have their they don't have their snow tires or if they do some people think by having snow tires having studs or having a all-terrain vehicle that that gives them the right to hit like you said a speed limit that's for dry conditions and more accidents occur and i've witnessed it on the highway myself somebody trying to pass me i've gone through a snow squall where the roads are one to two inches of snow on the ground uh, I've been on the interstate between uh, Williston and uh, Waterbury, the famous stretch of having that. I've been 30 on the highway, barely keeping abreast, and you got people passing by at 50, 55, and 500 feet later, you see that they are off the road, upside down, and they were driving at speed because they thought they could with an all-terrain vehicle. <laughs> and then it's just uh, 
there is no vehicle that is good enough to drive other than a mountain cat, but mm-hmm. you don't put those on the highway. There's just no vehicle that is made for these type of conditions. And people just need to realize it. you go fast enough, chances are you may not make it there at all. Mm-hmm. You go slow enough, yeah, you're a little bit delayed, but at least you make it there safely. You're going to arrive alive. And it's not just you. It is also everyone around you. Remember, you taking taking a motor vehicle on the road is a responsibility not to yourself, but to everybody else that's on the road, and especially in inclement weather. So you have a responsibility to yourself and the community to treat that road and treat your vehicle with respect and drive accordingly. Scott, I, I can't uh, uh, express what you just said enough to the listeners, right? Because, um, you know, having kids that are thankfully young enough right now that driving is not on the radar for a bit, um, I'm already thinking of the fact that, and this is it was advice given to me too, it's really not the, you know, I will hopefully raise my boys to, to drive with care and, and due diligence and things, but also it's not so much my boys I'm, I'm going to be worried about. It's the knuckleheads that are driving around them that that don't understand due diligence with driving in the speed limits my daughter uh just got her well she just finished her learner's permit and she can get her license in about two months and she's petrified she's been on the road when i've been on the road and someone crazy has done something and she's petrified so we're gonna maybe delay the process get her more training more practice during the winter months as long as she's in no no hurry and uh we'll get her there but uh yeah, it, uh, winter driving, especially for those who have never done it before, is scary. Yep. But even that, those first couple of storms, um, you got to get reacclimated. Mm-hmm. You got to get reacclimated. And a lot of people think that that the bigger storm, the worse travel conditions. Like if you get 12, 18 inches of snow, the travel conditions are going to be worse than a storm that might have an inch or two. In most cases, yes, because eventually you got the buildup of the snow and the roads get really corn mealy and stuff like that and you get a lot. But, you know, if if you got an untreated road or a road, for example, that might have had treatment, but it's been a week or two and all that tre- pre-treatment has already gone, it's been washed away or it's been blown away or whatever, and you just happen to get that little thin within that wor- first inch of snow, you get a little bit of melting going on and with the snow on top of it, all of a sudden you got a slight glare of ice and that first inch or less could be more problematic than having six inches where at least you had some sort of substance to that road. So anytime you have some sort of winter element on the road, whether it's a trace or whether it's six, 12 inches, you got to treat both equally. I couldn't agree more on that, too. And, and I, I laugh, right? My vehicle is fairly new, right? And it's got this little ding, ding. And it tells me, you know, when the, the temperature drops below 32 degrees Celsius, indicating that freezing is possible. And at first I think, oh, that's annoying. I, I want to look at it, turn that thing off. And then I realize, like, no, it's it might be annoying, you know, uh, in Vermont where it's it's uh, for these next, you know, six seeming months. <laughs> um, not that much, but seeming like it's always going to be below 32 degrees when I turn my vehicle on. It's not. And that little reminder, ding, ding, is there for a reason. It's to say, listen, uh, uh, you know, heed this warning. Pay attention to the fact that, you know, when I leave my house in Colchester, it might be fine. And true to form, this morning when I left my house for Williston, it was fine. And then I get to Williston. Was it way worse? No. But it was worse enough that uh, I take the interstate most of the way. Uh, You know, you're traveling thinking that the roads are fine. And then you enter a a curvy area, you know, that, that Williston to Waterbury stretch 
is, you know, renowned, unfortunately, in a negative way for accidents. So just heeding that warning. Um, I want to transition super quick over to we talk about uh, prevention and, and, and winter driving is definitely a big one roads in general. But how about uh, let's talk for a hot second about carbon monoxide, because although this storm in, in the Chittenden County area didn't dump a ton, it was predicted and other parts of the state probably did um, receive quite a bit more. And again, early on in the season, I am sure by the end of this winter season, we will have at least a, you know one good solid snowstorm that really impacts us with, um, you know, potentially feet of snow. Tell us a little bit about carbon monoxide and how uh, weather has an effect, specifically winter weather has an effect on that. Hey, we just want to do a quick pause X to thank our sponsors, L3 Harris, Proper, Paladin Biasella, Impulse, Doberman Emergency Management, and especially all of you who have been donating to our podcast. Thank you for helping us boost the signal. Yeah, Prescott. So, uh, carbon monoxide poisoning is generally because people are uh, using their generators as a backup source for electrical power as you lose power. Um, with a warming climate and global warming, we have witnessed a tendency or a trend for more heavy, wet snow events. Last year, we had two big heavy, wet snow events. One was mid-December, one was March, where power outages across the state of Vermont averaged between 60 and 80,000 outages. That's not custom. That's not individual people. We're talking outages. So that could be one person. It could be a a a, a business. Um, this year already, we're t uh, we're talking about. We've already had two two weekends in a row, and then t actually today is a third weekend in a row. So there there are some people who have lost power every single day of the or these last three storms. So. I know it's an inconvenience to have uh, no electricity. You don't have to go without electricity. You can use generators, but make sure if it is a portable generator that this thing, that the portable generator ha is outside, away from windows, away from anything that can get uh, the pollutants the, uh, into the home. Now, generally, a permanent generator has been, if it's been properly installed, will be far enough away from a house or a structure. You don't really necessarily have to worry too much about carbon monoxide poisoning. However, that being said, every home should have a carbon monoxide detector just because you have heating systems that could break down. I got a red flag, a red tag on my uh, furnace this fall. And that red tag is not because it's not working. It's because there was a crack in a heat exchanger, which would allow for possible CO into the house or whatever. So carbon monoxide detectors and just knowing properly if you need to use a portable generator, making sure that it is vented properly, it is not in your garage, that's not good enough. It has to be outside. It should be away from the house long enough where you got some good ventilation. And if you can do that, you can prevent uh, deaths and injuries. Absolutely. The ice storm in 98, which is, believe it or not, tw 26 years ago. It seems like yesterday <laughs> still for me. But of the deaths across uh, Vermont and northern New York, uh, a large majority were not due to ice falling on anybody or a traffic accident. It was due to carbon monoxide poisoning. Mm. That is, uh, it's an incredible tragedy because in the realm of preventable, I don't like to, uh, you know, say that that every death is preventable by any stretch, but um, having a working carbon monoxide detector uh, would prevent, in many cases, uh, a lot of those fatalities in 98. I, I remember that storm. Yes, I, albeit I was quite young, but I definitely remember how, you know losing power for days. Um, and folks, after you know a few days, much less one even, uh, folks without power, you know, 
look on social media. Take take a look for warming centers, places to that you can go, town halls, things like that to charge your phone. Uh, one last quick foot stump on that is VT Alert. Sign up for Vermont Alert if you're in the Vermont area. If you're not in the Vermont area, area, you, you take a look at whatever your local or regional notification mass notification system is because that really will allow you in the event of a you know multi-day outage um, or any outage for that matter it will identify where you can go to get you know whether it be a hot meal hot showers power for your cell phone things like that so a you're staying safe on the roads like we just discussed uh, but b you know these little safety tips about something as small as carbon monoxide and having that uh, detector in there it's an odorless it's a tasteless uh, gas that 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 really um, is truly deadly. And I think one more, and I, we always generally associate carbon monoxide poisoning due to portable generators and power outages, but there's one I really want to bring up that's kind of more of a hidden one, is if you get a windy, heavy snowfall, and I'm not talking heavy-weighted snowfall, we're talking a large accumulated snowfall, wind being blown around, you get these snow drifts to sometimes block your HVAC exhaust systems from the house. And that's where... Those, those vent exhaustions are to remove that carbon monoxide away from the home. So when you do have large snow amounts, and especially if it's windy, do your due diligence, go to where that exhaust is, and if you start seeing snow drifts coming near that exhaust, you want to make a good five, six feet semicircle around that exhaust in order for to make sure that that doesn't block block the, your exhaust and that way you don't have the backup of co into the house we had uh, a storm oh gosh we just talked about it at a, a training we had actually a hazardous materials training we just had the other night uh, i want to say it was very recent anyhow uh there is a, a we talk about being proactive for any emergency responders listening um significant snowfall call it a year or so ago um and it was that sort of wind not only large accumulation but it was that windblown effort you were talking about um we have a 55 plus community independent living um you know where they in independent units as well and that's exactly what started to occur is up on a hill you know the windblown snow started to cause backups of carbon monoxide because of the hvac events being blocked uh you know one became three became you know we we were up there continuously what it ended up yielding was firefighters actually going to most of these homes with shovels uh, and assisting you know the local landscaping companies in digging out some of these vents uh just to avoid you know you know the folks that god forbid did not have a carbon monoxide or working carbon monoxide detector um so on that trend of being proactive right in that case as emergency responders we had the one that became three became five whatever it was we said all right we're up here we're in it to win it let's do this knowing if 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 we yield to information that you as the meteorologist provide and say all right we got this coming uh this big snow event what kinds of things besides our own driving safely etc can we plan on where in our community should we be you know uh, uh looking to maybe not proactively go out in there and say hey we're, we got some shovels let's do this but just knowing what has happened using the uh, history of what has occurred we now know that neighborhood that area is on our radar you know one two uh, uh or three snowstorms later we're ready for that um i want to talk or sort of, sort of lean into the um being proactive piece for a second scott if we can uh -huh. um that's being proactive for the civilian world 
Let's talk for a second of being proactive as emergency responders. Um, can you talk a little bit about the benefit of spot forecasting, especially when it comes to, uh, you know, emergency services? Uh, yeah, Prescott. Um, so the National Weather Service offers spot forecasts. And what spot forecasts are is if an uh, emergency manager or search and rescue, um, a chemical incident, let's just take a week or so ago, the uh, propane tank that went off the bridge in Irisburg or whatever. Um, if you run into a situation where weather, weather is going to impact your operations, whether it's the operations to clear a community due to an evacuation, due to a chemical spill, is it due to the potential safety of your first responders, especially like in search and rescue missions up in, in the mountains during the uh, summer with possible thunderstorms, or even uh, perhaps making a rescue on a ski slope, which we've seen people go off trail or whatever. Uh, in order to get the latest information, you are certainly able to contact us and get a spot forecast. It will give you the um, sensible conditions, whether it's snowing, rain, whatever, the temperatures, the wind speed, and you can get that up to uh, 24, 36 hours in advance and periods. And if you need something updated, conditions have changed, then by all means, you can always update it. You can get that through access through either our webpage at weather.gov btv. Uh, there's a section on there for a spot forecast. You click on that or by calling uh, our office. So, uh, and, and I'm going to lean heavily. What I'll do is I'll for sure include in the show notes all of those, uh, all of that information um, specifically for our emergency responder community. And I will leverage what you just said with an example we had this summer. We had a hazardous materials incident um, involving, a, you know, initially an unknown chemical. Um, we knew we were going to be in it for the long haul, hours and hours. Well, once the hazard, hazardous materials team arrived on scene, uh, they had their command post set up right near our own. We start chatting and we recognize that, you know, summer we have uh, storms that, you know, thunderstorms that roll through pretty quick. You know, not too much like the south, but definitely quick enough, right? So we, uh, the hazmat chief, uh, shout out to Pat McLaughlin, he uh, pulled up the spot forecast, he got it, and it indicated that there was uh, incoming thunderstorms, a band of thunderstorms that would potentially cause some some decent uh, trouble for us. Well, let me tell you, the spot forecast got it down to within five minutes of, of when the storm actually rolled through. It allowed us to break down our respective command posts, uh, break down whatever operations we needed to that were, uh, you know would have been hit by this storm um, and it was an incredible example of did it affect us negatively um, ultimately no we had the incident well under control at that point but it, what it did do is allow us to to plan accordingly which is really where the benefit of that spot forecast is is for emergency management emergency responders um, you know being able to leverage that you gave the examples search and rescue uh, in our case hazardous materials or frankly any incident where you're, you're on there for any extended period of time and your responders could be at risk and that's the key thing because a first responder that gets injured or needs rescuing itself just it's not a pretty sight no it's not a pretty sight and it just delays what the reason why you were sent there in the first place now and now you know scott one of the things that you do is you provide people with information you're going to get even we just talked a little while ago um you're going to get people that are the naysayers the sort of oh i don't believe any weather person because they you know they're wrong x percentage of the time blah 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 um there's a lot of science that goes into this scott uh, you know are, 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 are you right all the time no uh but what what do you have to say for the for the naysayers as far as like just you know making sure people understand that weather is a science absolutely but it isn't right 100 percent of the time and that's okay 
Yeah. Uh, you know, Prescott, that's a tough one because uh, the technology has allowed for uh, the five-day forecast to be as accurate as maybe the 24-hour forecast was 30 years ago. And now the seven-day forecast is as accurate as maybe the three- or four-day forecast was 30 years ago. But there are still a lot of gaps. I mean, the atmosphere, we're talking about globally. We're not talking about just Vermont or just the United States, that whatever happens in China is going to eventually impact what happens here in the Northeast uh, Kingdom or in, in Vermont. So we, the first thing is we need a lot of weather observations. And 75% of the Earth is surrounded by water. You don't get many weather observations in, in water in the water. Uh, then you've got vast areas of countries. Parts of uh, China are very abandoned. You know, it's very desolate, and they don't have the the resources. Um, your countries down like in Africa and other areas, there are just some governments that just don't have the funds to take weather observations. So surface weather ob observations are important, but it's the upper air observations. It's, me it's the measuring of what the winds are doing at 5, 10, 15, 20,000 feet. What's the temperature profile at, at those levels or whatever? And those are largely done by two ways. They're still largely done by weather balloons that are launched twice a day. Um, Synchronously across the country, but the the population or the sparseness is some 200 or 250 miles away from each other. So Albany has one, and the closest one to us from Albany is Caribou, Caribou Maine. Mm. So we don't have the uh, the data set that's needed, given all those limitations. And it's like, oh, he's whining that we just don't have it. The technology and just the um, physics of thermodynamics and all these other uh, science-based things that have been studied and uh, there are vast number of equations that have put into computer models. It's amazing for the lack of data how accurate the data the computer models can be and they continuously get get there. However, bad information in, just like anything, bad information out. We'll take this uh, recent uh, storm we're talking about today. 90-95% of the uh, models, and it might even been more than that, had a solution that, you know, we were going to be warm on uh, Friday and Sunday, uh, or Saturday and Sunday. The rain was going to come in on Sunday. It would eventually get cooler. The precipitation would go from rain over snow in northern New York first before midnight, then in the northern Champlain Valley into higher elevations by midnight and eventually making it to Vermont. All that happened. But it also had that there was an area of low pressure that was eventually, as it was moving along the northeast track, was going to intensify. And it was going to track somewhere around the Boston area. Now, if you have what we call a flat, a flat low, something that really doesn't have much signature or much spinning, then the precipitation doesn't really fall far from the actual track. But the, this forecast and many forecasts were strongly urging that the storm was going to intensify, so the precipitation was going to get thrown backwards into Vermont and northern New York, and bus, thus being in the colder air, we were going to get it. Everything except for the strength of the storm did not happen. And for all these models, that, and they're now... So there are maybe a dozen or so different computer models. And within those computer models, you can run 20 or 30 or 50 different versions. Hmm. And when... In today's day and age, when you're looking at all that data and 80, 90% are giving you a solution and they're all saying the same thing, it's very difficult to go and challenge what <laughs> you're seeing. Now, if I had a solution where 
a third of my models were suggesting this, and a third of my models were suggesting this, and another third were suggesting this. Then you got to take your meteorological wisdom and expertise and uh, past history and all that and try to make your best solution. But when you've got 90 95% of the models that are run with all this technology at warp speed compared to what your brain can function, mm-hmm. you know, you, you have to say, go. like, am I always going to look for that one fly in the ointment or why am I fi- fighting it? Yeah. Not an excuse, but sometimes it happens. And when it happens, we, you know, we have egg on our face. We, we acknowledge that it happened. We do after action reviews and we look to see how to make it better. And that's the thing. I will never be out of work. The computer mm-hmm. models can't do it all. Nope. And it's, it's about messaging. It's about messaging to yes. decision makers. I know the school superintendents con- contact us a lot. Mm-hmm. And last night, some school districts had canceled. Most of them didn't. If they did any cancellation or delays, it was this morning. Yep. And I'm in Williston, just like you are. And I feel for those decision makers because I, I knew it was going to change over about one o'clock in the morning. Sure. I woke up at one, saw it changed over. Boom. I'm yep. good. Woke up at five. What <laughs> I saw outside at five was about what I saw at one. <laughs> and I was like, oh, and I knew the worst of it was going to be really from like six in the morning to about noontime sure. in the Champlain Valley. So I'm like, oh, even if we get another three or four during that time, that's significant enough that could impact travel. Yeah. I personally, because I was home, I didn't talk to the school superintendents and they make, their decision-making is is tough. Yes. Not only do they look at the forecast, they got to talk with uh, public works and yep. transportation, just so many different other avenues. I mean, is a road on a mud? Is it on a hill? I mean, there's so many different things that uh, they need to do and make for decisions. And, uh, you know, they made the decision. And as a parent, there are some parents are like, oh, I stayed home for this or whatever. But you know what? I'd rather know that my kid didn't get stuck on a bus or whatever on a day than than if it was the other way around. It it was a tough decision. And it was based off of a forecast that for three, four days was pretty consistent. And it's even kind of surprised us. So, uh, you know, these decisions are difficult and we don't take them lightly. And if we've given some bad advice or a bad service, we are going to correct it. And this week we plan on having a full view after action review, that's going to, we're trying to get superintendents, utilities, and other decision makers to just kind of feel what was, where did we go wrong in our messaging and how can we improve our messaging? Now, let alone forget about the forecast itself, the meteorology. What was the messaging that could have given you a little bit more? We're 75, 80% certain on this, but this could happen because if they are aware that this could happen, then part of decision making going, hey, Right. They said it was only a 20% this could happen, but this happened. Yeah. So I, what I have to say about that, and, and this, this is the take home, you, whether it be the National Weather Service or the superintendents of schools, the, I would rather have um, the, the more messaging, what occurred, which is the safety messaging, making sure people are aware of the worst case scenario versus the other side of the coin. So, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to give kudos to both the superintendent group who, who made their respective decisions and the National Weather Service for this one. Um, and, and just really make sure that folks know that, that whether they be being proactive as emergency responders or proactive as a civilian population listening to this, 
everything from checking that weather app, whatever app you choose to use in the morning to say, what's my day going to look like? Any changes that I need to be aware of and also being prepared to pivot. If they, you know, if you uh, are noticing that there might be a change in weather on your app uh, around the noon hour, you know, just as you're um, or, or as you're getting ready to head home, then make sure you actually take a look at that and be prepared to say, oh, wow, it was supposed to not snow at all. And I might just dusting, you know, uh, two inches of snow off my car that that could uh, be very relevant for your commute home. Um, Scott, as we sort of look to wrap things up here, I do have a question I ask all of my uh, uh, interviewees, which is uh, what what do you want the listeners to do tomorrow? The proverbial tomorrow, the proverbial tomorrow. (laughs) Um, When it comes to all sorts of weather, but especially winter weather is prepare for winter. Mm. That means making sure your your vehicle is as tuned and ready to go for winter as conditions. That's your battery. That's your heating supply. Definitely your snow tires. Make sure your home is the same way. Make sure your heating system's up and running. If you have, uh, if you run your heat via wood stove or uh, fire, that those chimneys have been cleared and cleaned. Um, and really preparing, as you said, prepare to pivot. I mean, weather is challenging and weather can change on a dime around here. So be prepared for sudden changes uh, for that. Uh, monitor forecasts. You know, forecasts are going to change. The weather is going to change. Hello, today was an <laughs> excellent example of it. And then just act, you know. Do you really have to, when the weather is bad, when the roads are in, in bad condition, do you really have to be at that location? And if you have to be at that location, do you really have to be there at that time? And if the answer is yes on both of those, then don't don't leave uh, your house or wherever you're, you're originating from at the same time you would if it was going to be sunny and 60 degrees when it's snowing and it's uh, 15 degrees. Just, uh, you know, you give that time uh, to get to your destination uh, safely. It's better to get there safely than to not get there at all. Amen. My goodness. Uh, Scott, thank you so much for joining me on the podcast today. This this has been insightful. We'll continue to be because, like I said, uh, you and I will be in communication, um, both uh, friend level, but also professionally, me being in touch with the National Weather Service. And, and I'll just echo that same thought. One of the things we had uh, talked about earlier in the chat was, um, you know, you getting the right information to act. And, and that is uh, the take home message that you just gave that I hope everyone um, understands is that weather is there uh, to be our, you know, um, our friend, our asset, especially in the world of emergency services. So we'll include the show notes, uh, everything about spot forecasting. Um, I really appreciate being here. I am going to do a quick uh, shout out. If you liked this episode or any of the other ones that I've put out, uh, consider joining the, the the Readiness Lab TRL Insider Program. So go on the Readiness Lab's website. You'll have access to audio table uh, top exercises, which are awesome, by the way. Shout out to Zach Bors for helping design some of those. Um, you're going to get merchandise discounts, some live trainings that we'll be a part of here in the coming months, which is very exciting, and also some really cool training partnership deals. So definitely go and check that out um, uh, You know, before you go. Um, Scott, any takeaway messages for you, sir? Anything else you want to say? No, just uh, greatly appreciate the opportunity. Uh, we are all a team together, the weather service, the public, uh, public safety aspects, and even the citizens. It's all a team that we have to act together and work because... Uh, Even though your job and your role as uh, public safety and first responders, 
uh, the general public needs to know that they don't really want to go out in these elements. They don't really have to do. You, you as a general citizen, have the responsibility to do something uh, cautious, smart, and that's not going to affect the rest and put others in danger. And when it comes to winter weather, it's so preventable. It is so preventable, and I really just want to bring that home, is you have the final choice, and do you really have to be there? I hope this message gets out to so many people loud and clear, as at least in the Northeast, uh, we are, are entering uh, winter weather directly. So thank you so much, all of you, for listening. Be sure to uh, smash that like button. Uh, leave a comment. If there is an episode that you want to see, if you have a, a guest that you want me to bring on, anything like that, please be sure to leave a comment. Uh, reach out to me. I'll leave my information if you don't already have it in the show notes as well. Thank you so much, and we'll see you next time.